Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Just as we all predicted a week ago, there was no drama on the field. The Frogs bounce back, and we get ridiculous career performances from first-time starter Chandler Morris. Frogs go out and beat the number 12 Baylor Bears 30-28 to in dramatic fashion. Shadrach Banks picking off a pass to ice the game when we thought we were going to be uh, – Putting up that epic fight and be able to lose it at the last second, guess what? The Frogs stepped up. The Frogs won. Jerry Kill is 1-0 as the head coach at Texas Christian University, and Baylor continues to lose to TCU. 7-3, and three, the Horn Frogs are over Baylor in their time in the Big 12. We're going to get inside of this game, and we're going to make a quick pivot to the coaching search, and all of that and maybe a little bit more on this episode of the Frogcast. All right, Jeremy, gun to your head. Did you predict this? Did you say Gundy? I did not. No, we're not going to talk about that yet. No. Oh, is Gundy a candidate? No, no. You gotta listen no. to the end. You got to listen Set, to the end. Settle down. <laughs> Let's package that. Gun. Hey, did, you know, gun when, to your, go ahead. When we were watching this, when I was watching the game yesterday and reporting from the press box, I seem to remember. We'll have to go back and listen to the archives here if we can find if, if there is such thing for our uh, broadcast. But did, do you remember a conversation we had and I told you, I'm not convinced by Baylor's win-loss record. I'm, I was calling them a fake. I think they were either 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one at the time. But I wasn't, I wasn't sold that they were a team that was reflective of their record. I always felt that TCU would have a chance to win. Did I think they were going to win with every circumstance that was going into Saturday? No. But I didn't think they were going to go out there and lay down and just let Baylor run all over them. So – Props to them, but I don't think anyone could have really expected the way it turned out. I mean, if you're a uh, one of those guys that chooses games with your hearts, of course you predicted it. But if you're using your head and you're considering everything that was going into Saturday, there's there's no way a lot of people felt like TCU was going to win that game. But man, we got to see a really good quarterback. We got to see a defense flying around the football. We got to see an energized crowd. Um, props to them. The best home game atmosphere I've seen this year. But what a win, Jeff. I mean, I don't think any it, it could get any better than Saturday night. No, I don't think it could get any better than Saturday night. But I'm gonna I'm gonna quote one of my mentors um, to you, um, a guy by the name of Jeremy Clark. You know, we were saying they are they're either good or they're not when we were talking about some previous teams, and we we need to get a decision um, before the game. You know, was Baylor a good team or were they not? Because I re- I think I remember saying that my the most impressive win that Baylor had was BYU. Well, I think it's a good team. Right. He has four, four Pac-12 wins this year, three or four, and they're going to beat USC later this year. And they beat Utah, Utah, who's in the driver's seat in the Big Twelve in the Pac-12 South. So I I you know they I don't know how if you get to seven and one. I, I think you're a pretty good team. I know that they've got some meat of their schedule. They got Oklahoma this weekend. They hadn't played Oklahoma like we had, but that's a that's a that's a good Baylor team that we beat. So I don't I don't know exactly where to rank them, but it was a heck of an environment. It was a heck of a win, and it was it meant a whole lot more than simply a W in the column for the Horn Frogs. So hey. that that was an electric game to be a part of. No, no matter what anyone says, it was a win over the number twelve team in the nation. So it was, it was a, it was a win over the number twelve team in the nation. And even last year, when the frogs kind of struggled, we got a win over a top ten Texas team because that's what they were. 
and we got to win over the number 12 team in the country. That was what the playoff committee said. That wasn't what, you know, the AP poll said. I mean, those are people that are, for better or for worse, pretty hard on the Big 12, and they had Baylor at number 12. So Yeah, from here on out, we're going with the CFP. We're going with the college football playoff poll. So, I mean, I the AP and the coaches, I don't even pay attention to it anymore. It all matters with the with the college football playoff poll to me. Yeah, but we really assassinated that poll. You might call it a poll assassin. Um, so I was really glad. <laughs> I, was, I was really they, – they were not monkeying around. They really, really um, – they, they were not playing kids' games. They came after them and, and ran over them like kids on a schoolyard. So really excited for the Horn Frog. Did I get enough, did I get enough drops in there? Yeah. I mean, you, you strip it down to nothing, and that was a victory. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I know you got a list. I don't. I I, I, you're I, looking at. It. You're reading it off. Notebook I'm not reading right it. I know Reese Davids made one joke that I used, but I think I made the rest of it up. So okay. You know, I I, I talk on my feet for a living, and sometimes it gets me in a little hot water. So yeah, hopefully, you will get an explicit rating on this podcast. You guys got to make people laugh up there. You, I know you got to make people laugh like they're at a comedy show sometimes. So I know you got some good jokes in you. I do. You know, some people think I'm Billy Graham and some people think I'm Dave Chappelle. So you, I'll let you decide. Oh, so, getting the hot water there. Moving right along. All right. We're going to start with, uh, let's just start at the top. Chandler Morris. I call him Chandler Bing Morris, maybe because I'm a Gen X and watch Friends, but or, or know what Friends are. Nobody saw this coming. So just tell me what it's like to observe a player that goes out there sets the field on fire, 461 yards passing, over 500 yards of offense, leads the Frogs with 70 yards of rushing. What a performance from Chandler Morris. No wonder Lincoln Riley didn't want him to come in conference. Man, I'm telling you, it was probably the best quarterback performance I've seen since Trevon Boykin was there at TCU. I mean, it it was uh, really, really impressive. The fact that he put up 531 yards, they're only, they're only able to account for – rushing and passing when they do the total yards but total total yards with his receiving was 538 but his his passing and rushing total was 531 and that's the highest Jeff since a guy named Matt Vogler was probably a senior when you were a freshman at TCU no when I he, no he was he played for coach Wacker I was okay. not even around and don't you, you weren't even at school me, yet don't you I was don't you go calling me that old um, no, he was not Vogler. Actually, he tracked. I tracked him down on Twitter, and we follow each other now. I was never in school when Vogler was there. Well, I'll tell you what. That was the most yards by a TCU player since 1990, and that's a long time. That's 31 years. And Matt Vogler had 696 passing yards against Houston. So just think about that for a second. It's been 30-something years since a TCU player has had that type of game on total offense. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. In 1990? Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I keep I keep yeah, we we were uh yeah, that's right around the same time. Yeah, I was class of 94. High so, school. I mean, there were so many there were so many good plays to just go back and reflect on. I mean, obviously we all saw he was a pretty good runner. The, some of the escapability he had reminded me a, a ton of Baker Mayfield type plays, Johnny Manziel. Uh, he was really accurate. He was a guy that, I mean, he he was making a lot of good reads. There was a couple plays where he wasn't perfect, and he threw one over the middle. And you're kind of early in the game, you're kind of thinking, "Oh man, don't do that!" But 
he settled in and just amazing to watch him back there because someone someone made a post on board but it was you know some people will take it the wrong way but it it actually it, it's true he's he was like a Kyler Murray he's just a white Kyler Murray he's short he's listed at 511 I think 510 511 he's probably five nine and a half he's not a big kid he comes in the press the the post game with glasses on he just looks like a normal TCU student does not look like your typical football player not definitely not the guy that you just saw put up 500 and some odd yards of offense but there was just so many so many good plays that he made and through a lot of uh back channel discussions and talking with people around the program he's kind of the guy that Doug Meacham's wanted to roll with this entire year and you 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 follow coach P and you you know how he looks at guys with uh, leadership and everything else. I think that's a big reason why we probably saw Max a little bit more uh, or a whole lot more this year. But I don't think there's going to be much discussion for the rest of the season. I think Chandler kind of supplanted himself into that starting role. And, I mean, it, it, it would be foolish for anyone to go up in front of a microphone and say Chandler's still still coming along, Max is still the starter. I, I, I don't think he'd go out after a game like that and, and say that. So would you think do you think it's fair to say if they had announced midweek that uh Chandler Morris was starting that if they would have told us they would have also been telling Baylor? Absolutely. So I was thinking about that. So I don't I don't want to I'm not going to throw a wet blanket on this, but but what is what a what a surprise because Baylor didn't have all week to get ready for Chandler Morris. They didn't you know uh go back and look at some of the tape maybe that he would have had uh, at Oklahoma in a way of preparing an entire game plan for him. So well, I, I, I was, I, I thought that was, I thought that was a well-played plan. Here's the thing though. I don't, I don't know even if they watched film, how much they could have prepared. I don't think because, so either. Because the kid just kept getting better and better as the game went on. At some point you're going to make defensive adjustments. You're going to figure out, okay, this kid could throw a good seam route. We need to take away the seam route. This guy could throw a good out route. So, I mean, he was just making plays, and it was funny because it it was almost like Baylor was playing a defense, making Chandler beat them with the pass, and he was beating them with the pass. And there were some some plays where he had a lot of running room, and he just stayed in the pocket and and relaxed, and and was able to connect on a couple good passes. But I don't I don't think there was anything, and it sounds crazy, but I don't really think there was anything Baylor could do on Saturday to stop him. I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, you you try to take away the pass, he's going to run on you. Try to take away the run, he's going to pass on you, and that's just what TCU's been missing this year is just consistency and making defenses try to game plan around their quarterback. We all know Max is a great quarterback, a, a great, good, however you want to describe him. He's made a ton of plays for TCU. He's made uh, just one of those guys that you're you're never going to question his his willingness to go out there and make plays and try hard and, and be a leader. But there was just simply some things that Chandler did on Saturday that we haven't seen Max do in three years. Some of those passes, Max going to panic. He's going to overthrow some things. And here's, here's the one thing that I think gets overshadowed by everything. Those kids didn't panic. They, they didn't stress. And I'm not talking bad about coach P, but it was obvious those kids played a lot looser on offense and defense, especially on offense, because Doug Meacham was just able to call the plays. The offensive coaches got together, and Chandler was able to just go out there and play football. A couple things about uh, Morris's game. 
obviously they they didn't have the capacity to to prep because there wasn't a bunch of tape. But even if they could have, like you said, I don't think they would have been ready for watching a man just improve every quarter throughout the game. We can now say this. Dave Aranda is the best defensive mind in the Big 12. You know, he is clearly carries that mantle now as the best defensive mind in the Big 12. And they couldn't figure out how to stop uh, Chandler Morris. They could not figure out how to stop Chandler Morris. And so I thought his escapability and his ability to run was uh, something that we hadn't seen just in terms of his instincts on that. He knew when to run and he knew when not to run. And he was on target with his passes a lot more than we've seen previously. And that was that was a that was a part of the that was part of the reason that they won the game. And so I was really impressed with his ability to run, his ability to throw. But tell me if you agree with me. I just thought his decision making on on where to throw the ball to and where not to throw the ball to were a, a, a distinct uh, improvement from what we've been experiencing uh, this entire season. Do you think he, that his uh, ability to read the field and know where to and where not to throw the ball was uh, part of what elevated the game for the Frogs? Yeah. I mean, I think he found the he found the open spots. I mean, and I made a post during the game that sometimes the receivers need to learn how to stop in that open spot because they're, they were there was a couple of times where they're wide open and they're still running into coverage. They just need to settle down and uh, Chandler's one of those quarterbacks that he he told us after the game that he tells the receivers that when the ball is thrown to you, it's your ball. I'm going to make it to where it's just your ball. But he his decision making, he was getting some good plays to take. He threw the ball to ten different receivers. Jeff, when's the last time we saw that? Oh, we got to go way back to maybe yeah. Texas Tech 2014 when we had the walk on cheerleaders playing. So it, I mean, it does it doesn't really. Just it, it's something that we haven't seen in a long, long time. The way they, the way he distributed the ball all day long, ten different receivers catching the ball at TCU is something we. we I mean, we'll we'll have to go way back, like you said. But there, now he wasn't perfect. He threw, like I mentioned earlier, he threw one in the end zone over the middle, threw it across his body. He almost threw an interception a couple times. He threw one right in front of the TCU sideline when he was trying to throw the uh, sticks, and then he almost threw an interception. Where he pro- he had a, if, if you go back and watch the game, he had a wide open tight end in the middle of the field uh, on that on that play action pass he threw to Quentin Johnson that almost got intercepted in the end zone. So just those little things he'll improve on. I mean, <laughs> but if you're if you're giving a report card on on his gameplay, I mean he's obviously an A plus. I mean he didn't. There's a there's a so called what if or uh, he he didn't throw any of those. He didn't get an interception. So he didn't turn the ball over. That's A plus in my book. Anytime you're uh, playing quarterback, and the fact that he put up so many yards and, and completed the ball to so many different receivers shows that he knows how to read the field. He knows <laughs> he knows how to go through his progressions. There were several times where first option wasn't open. He's going second, third. He stayed in the pocket. And and really, what surprises me, and I'm not knocking the guy's size because obviously I'm a short guy. I love the short guy. So. Amen. The thing that the thing that surprised me is he just most guys his stature they don't stay in the pocket that long. They they want to get out, they want to run around, use your feet, but he stays in the pocket, man. And he just he he makes plays. You're thinking, okay, how the heck is he going to see over those six 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 seven offensive linemen TCU has? But he does, man. He threw a lot of passes over the middle. Did great throwing the deep ball. Threw a absolutely perfect pass to Blair Conright down the visitor sideline, I think for 38 yards, but just so many good things. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. But if you're, if you're grading on 
every one of his passes, I think he was 29 of 41, you could probably count on one hand the number of bad throws he had or bad decisions that he had. And that's something we typically haven't been able to do with Max. And I'm not trying to knock Max, but that's just something we're, – we're just being realist here. We're calling it how we see it. That's not something you could say about Max. Now, hopefully Chandler didn't catch lightning in a bottle and he goes up to Oklahoma State and completes like 15 to 30 passes, throws three interceptions, and then we're all going to be eating you know, eating crow talking about how he played against Baylor. But it, it, was, it was something special to see a quarterback go out there and play that way. Let me take you to my favorite moment that seems inconsequential on the play chart, but was um, kind of a snapshot of how I think Morris played. So there's 3.33 left in the game. It's second and 14 from the Baylor 47. They run that speed option to the right. Nothing's there. And someone comes and tries to tackle Morris from behind. And maybe this is where his lack of height becomes a benefit. He's able to sneak out of it pivot back to the left, and goes racing down the the, the east sideline for 26 yards. He's smart enough to, once he gets the first down, he covers up the ball, he stays in bounds, and then when he gets hit, he just goes down right away. He's smart enough to not try to, you know, break the tackle and get like an extra three yards and, 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 and uh, create an opportunity for a turnover for a late guy coming in with a second hit and knocking the ball loose. That was a moment that... Um, I, I know there was a lot of stress in the next three minutes and 33 seconds, but that was a play that said to me, this this kid's playing like a third year, like a like a redshirt junior that's been in the Big 12 for, for two or three years, and this is not his first rodeo, even though this is his first fourth quarter of consequence since what he was a senior at Highland Park. So I was that that play right there said a whole lot to me when he what he did have to make something out of nothing and he found a way to do it. And you can say, oh, it was a little bit of luck because he he broke a tackle that should have brought him down. But it doesn't matter. He he made the play. He got the first down, and he kept the clock rolling. And he was he did all these other things that I just I appreciate as someone that doesn't pretend to be a genius of the game, but can see a player and a winner when I I can I know a player and a winner when I see it. And and Chandler was able to do it on that play. Yeah, he it was it was funny because he was talking about after the game how he needs to gain more weight, but he was breaking tackles I mean he was he was making guys miss and maybe that's because he's a smaller guy and they can't get a good grasp on him but that that was a special play the play where he avoided the the rush and was basically telling his receivers go 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 and he was able to hit sticks um I think for like a 21 yard gain sticks yeah, off his back the ball. Foot falling yeah. backwards that yes. was that play was amazing yeah that was a, and that was at that point that was like okay that was a freaking Baker Mayfield or Johnny Manziel type play. There's just so many guys that could do it. And the play you mentioned was obviously one too. But yeah, there's there's a lot of plays that he was making. And we're just watching from the press box, just laughing. I mean, everyone was just amazed by how he was playing. I mean, it it's something that it's something that whoever is at that game, they're never gonna forget what Chandler Morris looked like. You know, I don't watch a lot of SEC football, but he, he reminded me a little bit of the few times I've watched Bo Nix from Auburn play that, you know, he's he's got a little bit of fire in him. He's not the biggest guy. And at the same time, he just finds a way to, to get some things done. You know, you talked about him not being huge, but still breaking tackles that that um, delayed draw that they ran where he got into the end zone. If you'll remember about a yard past the line of scrimmage, there's a defensive lineman that's got one big claw around his legs 
and he breaks through it. And I thought, oh, he's going to go down and get tripped up. And he broke that tackle and then went straight into the end zone. And that was that play was impressive. That was the first touchdown that we scored. And I thought that that said something to me that he's 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 not a he's not a lightweight. He may not weigh a lot, but he's willing to deal with contact. He knows how to respond to contact. And just because he he's not Max Duggan in terms of like he's got these you know huge thighs and can squat six fifty. He got in the end zone when somebody from Baylor's defense, which is a pretty solid defense, got got a hand on him in a spot where maybe he should have gone down, and he was able to get the frogs on the board for ultimately we needed every single point um, to win that game that we got. So I was impressed with I was so impressed with Chandler Morris. So so let me ask you this, Jeremy: Would you say that he is like having a second coach on the field? He's a coach's kid. He's a coach. I mean, that's kid. that's that's the good thing with the two top quarterbacks at TCU. They're both I know. kids. I know. I was really impressed. Really impressed. All right, let's transition here. A couple other things that we need to highlight that I was really impressed with, and a few things I was not impressed with. Uh, we we have to acknowledge it. Um, Amari DiMarcado did not have you know. 27 carries for 197 yards. No one's going to look at the stat box and say that he had a, a game-changing performance. But after the first drive, he was the or the second drive. Yeah, I think it was the first drive. He was the only scholarship running back left on the field for the Frogs, and he pass blocked well. He was able to catch a pass, some passes out of the backfield. He got yards needed in difficult moments. No, he didn't break one for 65 yards. That's not the kind of running back that he is. But I love that that kid had that moment. He he. That's a Gary Patterson special. Recruited JUCO out of Southern California, brought him in. And if we didn't have him for that game, I don't know what would have happened. We just would have been in five wide the rest of the game. Or maybe bring an H back in and pretend like he's a, a fullback. But I really appreciated the performance that DiMarcado put up. Because when um, Kendra Miller went down, I, I man, I was breathing deep. Because Zach Evans is out. Foster is is Foster out for the rest of the season? Yeah, yeah, he's that's, out. That's he's he's walking up. around on crutches. Yeah. So did you did you uh, feel as as confident as I did in Demarcado's performance? Yeah, I thought he played great. I mean, like you said, he didn't have a ton of rushing yards. He had that seventeen yard touchdown called back. Yeah, on one of the sixteen oh, hundred calls the refs made that day, but. Um, I thought he did a great job catching the ball. I think he had close to 60 yards catching or receiving. They just didn't cover him out of the flats. I mean, he was wide open a few times, and Chandler just hit him. And there was one time, man, he was so wide open. And that was that was probably one of the other things I noticed Chandler missed on the day because Ch- uh, Amari was just running down the left sideline on TCU sideline, and he was in the shadows. And so someone said maybe he didn't see Amari because, I mean, he was just – so wide open down the sideline, and, and Chandler ended up running the ball. You probably couldn't see it on TV, but we saw it. We saw it live in the stands and in the press box. Yeah, but that, he, but that he, west um, hash from the from the from the hash on the west side to the TCU sideline. It there, there was this about twenty minutes when it was just it looked like complete darkness there. Yeah, and I know you got you got daylight savings, the sun going down, the lights not being able to do much. That was a weird feeling watching that game, and I totally believe you when you said he couldn't see him because there were times I'm like I can't exactly see what's going on there. Yeah, it was it was really really dark, but I thought Amari did really good. If you remember back in 2018, he's the guy that helped him. When when TCU upset Baylor sixteen nine down there the Jalen Rager game and and Amari was the only running back then I mean he was what the third or fourth string guy then and and it's funny because you think back twenty eighteen man it seems like a lifetime ago and and it really was but 
Mari, man, he's at least at least for uh, him, he's got some good highlights against Baylor against a pretty good defense. Two games, two games, uh, he has those highlights. But yeah, I was I was real happy for him. Real happy that a senior got to have a game like that, and he stepped up. Man, he was picking up blocks. He was. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that just I, I think I said this a while back when talking to people. He's not he's not the best running back they have. He's not the fastest. He's not the strongest. He's not going to be the guy that's going to break a long play. But of all the things that they ask the running backs to do, he's probably the most talented when it comes to doing everything. And so it, it was ha- I was real happy to see him get to put on everything on on full display, everything that he could do. Because he did it, and he caught the ball, he ran the ball, he made key blocks, and props to him for uh, sticking around. And who knows what would have happened if he got hurt? Because the, the I was told the next guy to come in was a guy a guy named Jacques Goulot, maybe Jacques number four. Oh yeah, man, yeah, I've been so. recruitment. <laughs> <You know. laughs> my twitter notifications yeah. were on for his yeah <laughs> so just imagine that for one second we had, had someone in there that hardly anyone could pronounce their name correctly but you yeah, and i know everyone Mari. on the roster the last seven years and yeah we didn't know who he was <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad well if you can do you know anything about miller any updates on his health i mean honestly and 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 i said this on the board last night it it was, it was a different post game, Jeff, and it was weird because you see, you see the emotions from Jerry Kill talking about that win, and, and it was it was crazy to say it, but I think everyone was just kind of riding high on what happened. I mean, no one thought this was going to be a win. You're talking about an emotional week. You're replacing the most legendary. Uh, head coach and program history and you're 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 just wanting to talk about the good moments and so surprisingly no one no one asked about the injuries no one asked like it it, it just was one of those feelings like no one wants wanted to bring the room down like there's nothing we're going to find out Saturday night after the game that we won't find out by Tuesday because a lot of those times the coaches won't even know how how the kid is I mean you're talking about 20 minutes after the game, hey, coach, how's so-and-so? Is he going to play? They don't know that. They haven't gone to the trainers. They haven't gone um, to anything the next day to get looked at. So it, it's kind of a weird thing, but I, I haven't asked about it. We'll find out by Tuesday what's going on. But that's just to kind of give some background of uh, kind of how it was after the game. That's you know that Kendra Miller question. And frankly, no injury questions came up at all. That was that's what's weird to me when, you know, when and I'm not knocking anyone, but it's funny because you see the game day posts and everyone's talking about good play, good play, this and and then everyone out of nowhere someone brings up anyone know Savion's Savion status, like Savion Williams. The game sticks is having Quincy Brown's having a hell of a game, and someone brings up Savion out yeah. of the blue, and then someone brings up Kendra when Amari's having a good game. I mean. Just focus on what what good is happening at that moment. It, them them two guys not being out there has not affected the offense at all, at all. So just worry about the good stuff. I'll worry about the good stuff. I just got an eye of going to Stillwater for a night game against. Oh, I know you got you defense in worry. the Big Twelve. You know, got to call your bookie. Got to call oh, your bookie, no, buddy. I run a book, so I got to make sure I got that right. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you referenced this uh, in in your answer about injuries, but post game, you you what what is the variety of emotions that you witnessed? You know, being in the post game presser, being around the players. Hey, the players, some players got to talk to the media. That was kind of cool um, yeah. with, with Coach Kill. There's got to be this sense of uh, catharsis. There's there's clearly a sense of grief, you know, not just mm-hmm. in the football program. I mean, we got the whole university with this sense of I can't believe this day came. On top of you know the players having this uh, the the future fold out from underneath them with um, the departure of Coach Patterson, and at the same time they go out and beat their biggest rival, who's ranked number twelve in the country. What emotions did you see on display? in some ways that, that are pr- kind of predictable about elation and maybe some other things that, w- that, w- that you didn't anticipate, but you got to witness. I think our listeners would want to hear about that because that was, it was awesome and it was kind of weird. Well, I mean, as far as the game goes, you could tell there was, as I mentioned earlier, you could tell the players were playing more loose. Um, you could see more excitement on the sidelines, towels waving a little bit. And the crowd, there you you want to, you want to, come out and show, yeah, we, we support Gary Patterson, but you also want to show your support for those, those kids on the team and and TCU in general. And I think the crowd did a really good job at doing that. And I think obviously playing a a program like Baylor as as highly ranked as they were, no one was giving TCU a shot. Everyone was doubting them. Everyone thought TCU was going to get run out of their own stadium. And, I even I think I looked over at Jerry and said they're going to rush the field after this game because that's just what this game means to these players and these fans. I mean this this it's a culmination of every bad emotion you could go through in a week's time. I mean it really is, and I don't know how familiar people are with um, how TCU Stadium set up, but you go in the tunnel and. You go up and you have to walk up some stairs, and the players go uh, down this hallway through the Walsh complex. It's at the the first floor. And media, when we go to the post game, we wait in that glass area um, and wait for the team to walk by. They won't let us go through. We're not going to cut through the team as they're walking by. So we get to witness all the players' emotions. You know, if it's Bad. If it's a loss, West Virginia, you could have heard the pin drop. I mean, there it was so quiet as each guy walked by. But yesterday, I, I'll just tell you, man, it was God. It was it was emotional watching those kids. You'd see kids walk by with tears. Coaches walk by with tears. The ladies, the wives that were just kind of waiting there, they're all crying. They're emotional. Um, you see a couple coaches that we've known for a long time just walk by, break down to their wives and. I mean, you could just tell it was, uh, it was, they, they wanted this win, but you could also tell it was like the end to a very, very hard week for them. Cause let's face it. It's, it's, it's not only coach Patterson, whose job was affected. There's, there's just been affected as well. They're, they're having to play, um, not only to maybe impress TCU to keep them around or maybe impress someone else to take a look at them. And first and foremost, their job is to coach those kids. No matter no matter what they feel personally, they still have a job to do and they still have to coach those kids. And to be able to go out and coach those kids and get them to play the way they did, man, just tremendous. I mean, you can't – no one, no matter what they say on a message board, anything about any coach, they can't take it out away from those those coaches. 
they went out there, they did, did their job, did a phenomenal job of getting those kids pre- prepared to play. And hell yeah, man, it was it was very emotional, very emotional watching watching those guys break down. A lot of those, a lot of those guys, you know, are, are are friends. I mean, they're I've known a lot of those guys for a long time, and you know, you know, they're going through a lot of a lot of tough times right now. You know that this past week has been hell on them. They, I mean, it it really and truly has. And to see them see them get that win, man, I was, I was kind of like I mentioned on the board, man, I'm so damn happy I get to cover this team because I was so damn happy for those guys and those players. And I know I've said in the past that I'm not a fan. TC wins or wins or doesn't matter if they win or lose to me. But I still have a rooting interest for a lot of those players because I've covered them for so long. Met a lot of them when they were sophomores in high school. So known some of those kids six, seven years. So of course I'm going to root and, and hope they do good. But yeah, it was uh, man, it was it was really special. You could just tell that this win was really, really important and really big for them. You know, I appreciate you referencing all of that, but your commitment to being an objective journalist, I appreciate that. I know you set the standard of that right up there with Jeff Ketchum and Billy Lucci. So I really appreciate <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I'm the fan. You're the journalist. People say, oh, you cover the team. No, I'm, I'm a fan that talks. So, <laughs> well, it's, that is the inside of inside of inside yeah. Texas recruiting message board commentary. And the eight of you that laughed at it, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh man the only thing missing was um taylor ham but we'll move on all right we, we have two things i wanted two other things from the game i want to highlight have you ever seen a game with this many dang penalties no i have 19 penalties for 176 yards and you know i keep just a tiny notebook with a few notes during the game i counted seven flags that that were not enforced and so that's 26 penalties in one game. I have never in my life there was there was one call that went the frog's way and I was like that's a terrible call. Why why are they calling that? You know, we had touchdown call but the only penalty I will stand by was DeMarcado don't kick the guy. That's going to I mean we're going to talk about that in a second but don't kick the guy. So that was bad but Yeah. Uh, I I didn't I see I didn't see ever. I didn't see that live because we're our vantage point. You don't see. I mean, we're way up there, um, and sometimes I don't even pay attention to the TVs. I mean, sometimes I do. But I, I didn't pay attention that time, but I didn't see that he had he had kicked the guy. Oh yeah, he, um, he, but he, I know he got his bell rung. I mean, he got, and that's probably why the guy was standing over him in the first place because he knocked the crap out of him. I did see that. The only the only penalty that I was like, okay, that one was a penalty. I think there was a play where. Avila didn't know it was a pass play, and he thought it was a oh, run yeah, play. It was like they, seven yards. Yeah, he, they threw an out pattern, and it goes for like five yards. But you look up, and Avila is about eight yards, seven, eight yards downfield. I'm like, okay, that you know that one's, and they almost didn't. They almost missed that one, but he's just blocking <laughs> the guy like it's run. He's probably thinking, hell yeah, I'm kicking this guy's ass. But you, you know, know that, that was probably they the wouldn't have called one. that back before they cared about it. They wouldn't have called that in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, especially at Baylor games. But I mean that that penalty right there was one that was like, okay, well, yeah, you gotta call that. But there was some there were some just bad penalties and, and some of them like, you know, Quincy Brown gets hit half a second before he goes up for a pass, gets his back broke nearly, and they don't call that. And I'm just like, 
how do you not how do you not call some of those things? And the one the one play and and it's one of the seven that you wrote down that they didn't end up calling a penalty on was the targeting on Jamoy Hodge. Like Jamoy Hodge is literally waiting for RJ Snead. RJ Snead lowers his head into Jamoy Hodge's head. And the fact that that referee threw a flag, I was like, what? I mean, really? You're going to throw that? I mean, yes, it's a bang, bang playing, but the, the worst play, and I, I watched the TV replay replay today, but I didn't watch, I, I wasn't in tune to it. I was, uh, it was actually on a replay on FS1 this morning, so I didn't DVR to anything, rewind, none of that good stuff. But there was a play where TCU got called for 12 men on the field, okay? Jamoy Hodge, I think, was running off for uh, Banks, okay? So Jamoy Hodge did not sprint off the field. He was He was jogging, but I kid you not, as wide as I can hold my hands, my arms apart, Three yards, probably. I mean, not even that long. But Jamoy Hodge, there were, he was nowhere near the play. He was behind the sticks. They snapped the ball. The line judge on TCU's side throws the flag. He was literally two steps from hitting the sideline, and they called 12 men on the field, even though Hodge was nowhere near the play. Well, the that, one was, I, that that to me was just they're being really, really petty now. The one that I can't believe they didn't call. We have the flea flicker that went to uh, Quentin Johnston, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, what an amazing one-handed grab!" I'm like, "Yeah, it was a one-handed grab because he had his left hand pinned against his hip by the D back." <laughs> I mean, like I'm watching, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's a ama- well, that's why it's an amazing catch because he could only had one hand and they didn't throw a flag on that." Oh man. Okay, I could go on and on, but yeah, they uh, they weren't the greatest of refs, and no, it was it was getting annoying to the point where I saw some of the guys on the board posting about how the commentators were talking about it. So as I'm watching today, you can hear Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman start to get after the refs a little bit and just mention how uh, ticky tacky they were. And I mean, that's gotta let them play, man. There's some stuff you're gonna call, but you gotta let them play. All right. Well, before we highlight the the INT from Shadrach Banks and just the emotion of that, that's what we're going to close on. I, I did have one more thing I wanted to highlight. You know, the Frogs won 30 to 28, but by just like a conservative summary of how the game could have gone and maybe should have gone, Frogs should have won 45-28. Oh, yeah. You know, we get uh, – I've got five trips into the red zone that resulted in three field goals, a blocked kick, and a shank off the upright. And if they get two touchdowns instead of three field goals, and one of those two misses goes in, we're looking at 45-28. You know, when when Amari had that uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, they're at the one. That's right. I mean, that's a touchdown. We have that touchdown. I mean, we have a touchdown called back. It, 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 the, this game – the statistics show that it was a much bigger blowout than what was on the scoreboard. Now, of course, the scoreboard's all that matters. That almost gets me even more excited about the potential of playing Oklahoma State, and man, that could come back and bite me. But the Frogs were moving the ball and humming and getting into the red zone, and they just got to find a way to maybe not have the same officiating crew next week, but they, there's no reason that they couldn't have had 38 points, 45 points, because they they were moving the ball, and I, I – 
I was disappointed that they weren't able to put more points on the board. At halftime, I did one of those um, Space Live on Twitter. I've been trying that a little bit. And I said, we're going to have to get to 33 to 35 points to win this game. And that actually is about what it would have been if we hadn't had the pick from Shadrach Banks. But right. look at how many more points that the Frogs left on the field. That's the thing that kind of gets me excited. Oh, yeah. those. I mean, you're talking about the, the Mari kick. That pushed him back. He got the touchdown called back. I mean, they, they were moving the ball at will. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they had, what, 560-something yards of offense. And you're not talking about a team. This, this isn't Kansas they were doing that against. This wasn't Texas Tech they were doing that against. They were doing that against one of the top defenses in the Big 12. Okay, they, they <laughs> I mean, literally, the, I, think, I think they were ranked third or fourth in the Big 12 going into that game. Yeah, 562 so, yards of offense. Yeah. They TCU gained over 200 yards of offense more than what Baylor typically gives up. Think about that for a second. Oh, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So Baylor usually I think they were averaging around 350 something. They were they were giving up per game. So think about it. TCU got two hundred more yards than what Baylor was typically surrendering per game. Well, this is ridiculous. Well, we needed every point we had because what was the feeling in your gut when Baylor was driving down the field with a minute left? Not good. I think I even I think I even made a post that it's going to suck that this game ends on a missed field goal from thirty four yards and the defense not not being able to stop Baylor because you when they get they get the ball back on that that missed field goal by Griffin they run out and up to Ben Sims gets like 32 yards and then you see Abram Smith get a couple good runs and you're thinking okay well they've just gashed TCU three times in a row I mean that TCU can't stop them I mean you're anyone watching at that point we've we've watched eight games leading up to that point and we knew there's TCU's not going to stop them. They're not going to stop them. They're going to kick a field goal. Baylor's going to win this game because TCU's defense cannot make a stop. We have eight games of proof telling us that. And lo and behold, freshmen stand up. Banks Banks makes a heck of a play, man. Good thing he was a receiver in high school. Yeah, good thing he was a receiver in high school. Yeah, a minute 31 left in the game. Jerry Bohannon throws that out pattern, and man, Shadrach Banks looks like a looks like a junior college nose guard out there playing outside linebacker in coverage, and, and jumped in front of that thing. Now let's let's go through his story just a little bit. He spent spring ball at A and M as a wide receiver, played wide receiver in high school. The kid's a hoss. Transfers to TCU, and of course, what does Gary Patterson do with big guys that play on the edge on offense? He puts them on defense. And uh, moves into linebacker, and that I mean that, that's almost poetic. A transfer from A and M that Gary Patterson brings in, changes positions, goes out there and wins the game for the first game that TCU played without Gary Patterson. That is uh, that was a, a nice way to to wrap up that game with with Shadrach Banks getting the the interception. Because man, if they if he hadn't picked that off, Frogs lose the game. This is yeah. bottom line. They Frogs lose the game. And it would have been their own fault because they they left so many points on the bull, on the field, you know. So. It was at that point where I was, I was just hoping beyond anything, make a stop for these fans, make a stop for you guys, 
you, Jeff, guys listening, guys that post on board, because I know a lot of people were thinking, oh, this is great to see them play with heart. They're fighting out there. But let's face it, you're playing this close. What a heartbreaker it would have been to lose by a field goal to Baylor or by one point. You know what I mean? And at that point, it's like, man, just please, someone make a play so these fans don't have to go through any more heartbreak this week. Honestly, that's what that's what I'm thinking. That's uh, I mean, honestly, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking in the press box as that was happening. Can you think of all of the trash talking from those Baylor dorks that our fans would have had to endure coming out of that game? Well, I think for the most part they they might have, but that's a game that I mean, your your flip. I mean, TC didn't wasn't expected to win that game. I don't think there would have been much. Baylor smack talk and I think it would have been more of not to give them too much credit Jeff but I think they would have been like oh TCU played great they they probably would have been posting as the as the they were lucky to get out of there with the win mm-hmm. um I'll give them that much I, I don't think any Baylor guy I mean let's not be crazy I there's probably some guys out there that would but I, I think in in general their fan base if they had they won that game I don't think they would have been uh, TCU's terrible. This that they they would have been very kind of like TCU was when back in 2014 when Kansas almost upset them when they were number three, and it took a interception late interception by Chris Haggett to win that game. And I don't think anyone was talking smack to Kansas fans after that game. I think it was one of those games of relief. Yes, TCU somehow in the playoff picture they squeezed by Kansas, but I. I I don't think – I'm not going to give them too much credit, but I don't think Baylor fans would have gone anywhere and started talking smack to TCU. Well, in the last few minutes here, let's let's pivot to the coaching search and share as much as you feel comfortable with. Obviously, this was the first game without head coach Gary Patterson since December of 2020 – or tw- of 2000. Here we are in 2021 looking for a football coach for the first time in 21 years. Um. You know, it's been a week. Everybody, everybody is uh, uh, might as well be an agent. They might as well run their own coaching firm on Twitter and on our message board. So let me let me just tell you this up front: if you want to know everything that you that is humanly possible to know, go join HornFrogBlitz.com. You're going to find out all the information that Jeremy and other sources have about what's going on in the coaching search. And if you thought Jeremy only got his information from Coach Patterson, you are sorely confused because he is um, pumping out the info at Horn Frog Blitz. Go, go join. It's the best cup of coffee you'll pay for on a message board every single month. All that being said, Jeremy, let's talk as much as you feel comfortable talking. We're a week without a head coach. Anybody that thinks we're going to have somebody hired in the next week or two is an idiot and doesn't understand how college football works. We're either looking at the Monday, Tuesday after Thanksgiving or the Monday, Tuesday after championship weekend, depending on where the head coach is coming from. Obviously, we would like to have a head coach that was you know, competing for a conference championship and needed to have that announced if they're a sitting head coach. Maybe if they're a sitting coordinator, um, they might be able to have a little wiggle room to announce that there, depending on how things shake out. What can you tell us? What can you confirm for us or what you think you know that our listeners would want to know about and maybe give us a little teaser or two that people can join the board to learn a little more about? Well, ask ask questions like you would as a fan, Jeff, and I'll and I'll see what I can do. I don't I, I don't even know where to start. So All just right. start well, popping off some questions. Okay. 
Um, let, let me ask this. If I'm a stupid fan, let me start like I'm a stupid fan. Um, okay. Let's start with this. Does Sonny Dykes losing two straight games mean he shouldn't be the head? Mean that TCU is not interested in him being the head coach anymore? No, I mean they're they're still interested. There's there's been interest there before this two game losing streak. Okay. Has is it? You've confirmed this, and you've confirmed it, and it's been confirmed other places. Sonny Dykes has a contract extension sitting on his desk at SMU that could end this whole thing right now that he has not signed yet. Correct. Right. That is correct. And and from what I understand, he's had it for a couple of weeks, and it just now got out publicly. I think SMU wanted that thing to get out, um, so people can kind of hold Sonny's feet to the fire. Like it, it's. It was kind of behind the scenes that it was it, there was an offer out there, but now that he's getting approached by Texas Tech and TCU, that they want people knowing that he's had this extension and he hasn't signed it. So hmm. it's very interesting right now. Sonny clearly would want the TCU job over the Texas Tech job, right? Every everything I've heard, um, I was told straight up that. Texas Tech isn't as, isn't as intriguing to him as many people would think, and from a people a few people I've spoken with that don't even know each other, just random you know maybe know that know Sonny well or know people that are close to Sonny and know Sonny well. I don't think the Texas Tech job intrigues him um, as much. I mean, some people think he would take the Texas Tech job for a reason, but that reason is probably why he won't take the job. And that's because Spike Dykes, his dad was legendary up there. And I think Sonny kind of wants to create his own legacy. And, uh, from, from people I've spoken with said, that's, you know, right, right on the money. He wants, he wants to do his own thing and he doesn't want to have to follow somewhere where his dad is a legend and, and, and so forth. So, People that think that he's going to go to Texas Tech just because his dad was a coach there and because Sonny played baseball there doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's at the top of his list. And people that I've spoken with in regards to TCU and Tech, they they tell me straight up. They said, "Listen, if they both offered the job to Sonny ten times, he'd take TCU ten times." That's just how much he he really enjoyed his time at TCU in 2017. He he likes Fort Worth, likes the program, and from from people I've spoken with, he just he he's really enamored by by TCU. That doesn't mean that he's been offered or anything, but he's uh he's obviously a top candidate for them. Has he interviewed for the job yet, if you know? Uh I I've been told he has and I've been told he hasn't. It's kind of like the Matt Campbell deal. The Matt Campbell deal, I was told that his people reached out. Then I had someone tell me, well, Matt doesn't really have an agent. He does all of his own stuff. So there's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because there's, there's so many different directions, Jeff. For me personally, I think Sonny has interviewed. I think, I I believe that Sonny has interviewed for TCU. I do not have that hundred percent confirmed with Matt Campbell. I'm so much on the fence right now because of what some folks close to Iowa state told me. Do I think that TCU would have an interest in Matt Campbell? Absolutely. But I have I have no knowledge if if Matt has talked with TCU or anything in, in, in that regard. So but with Sonny, I'm I'm confident enough to to understand that his name has been brought up to me numerous times. Numerous times. Enough enough smokes around that name to to make me believe that he's the leader in the clubhouse. So at this point I would I would say that I believe the people that are telling me that he's interviewed for the job. 
Okay, that's good to know. Let's move on here. Uh, Tony Elliott, we'll do this one real quick. Offensive coordinator at uh, Clemson. I know uh, I, I've had people tell me he has interviewed. Have you heard anything about him? Because there's not a lot of smoke, but I did I did get uh, some confirmation that he interviewed for the job. Yeah, he has he has interviewed. He would kind of be the third or fourth guy. That's I mean, what I it's I haven't I haven't heard too much near not near as much talks I have with with uh, Sonny Docks and excuse me got the hiccups here uh, Billy Napier. Well, let me let me say this because fans are are insane, and I'm one of them. So just let me go ahead. If if anything in the last 24 hours has changed your view on who the coach is, we we there, there's a reason you're not the AD. If Tony Elliott, if Coach Patterson had resigned at the end of last year, and Tony Elliott was named the the offensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator at Clemson, who's been Colin Play since the day Chad Morris left, mm-hmm. if he had been named the head coach. We would have hired a coach that had called plays in six straight playoff series and won two national titles. Do you think Frog fans would have been excited about that? Uh, I th- I think so. Oh, well, I guess what I'm saying is Clemson's going to finish nine and three. They yeah. got a rough start. They're clearly not going to be in the national title this year. But after winning between like what twelve and thirteen games for six years, and then one year going nine and three with the same play caller, the same playing caller the whole time, that that somehow um, should uh, cross him off the list. That's where I get a little jumpy with, and, and I'm glad Donati has the job and not our message board. So I like Elliot. I don't think he's going to get the job, but I'm, I kind of like the idea of getting Elliot. So that's a well, culture that knows how to win. Here's here's what I, what I say about the whole thing, and, and you asked if TC fans would be excited about it. I said I think so. I should have said I don't think so. Because TCU is replacing, and I said this on the board, they're replacing a blue blood coach. Okay, we could we could talk about TCU not being a blue blood, but we can argue that in our in our era, Gary Patterson is a is a top ten coach in college football in our era of watching college football. I really think that if he's not top ten, he's definitely top fifteen. Um, they're going to have to bring someone in that everyone's going to know about. They're going to want to bring in a splash hire. The generic TCU fan does not know who the heck Tony Elliott is because they don't, let's be honest, they don't pay attention to college football in general unless they're watching TCU football. The The diehard TCU fans, they know a little bit about who Tony Elliott is because they like watching college football. The not the the not the big football fans, but they watch TCU football – they know who Sonny Docks is. Okay. They they know who a guy like Deion Sanders is. Now the guys that watch TCU football are religious watching TCU football. They obviously know Sonny Docks. They obviously know uh Deion Sanders. They obviously know guys like Matt Campbell. Now, college football fans in general, they know exactly who Billy Napier is. So those those names right there, and and and, and let me not forget Kellen Moore. Every every football fan in this area knows who Kellen Moore is because Let's face it, they're probably all Cowboy fans. So I think when TCU goes to hire Gary's replacement, they're they're going to want to have to have someone that is going to create a good splash. And for for me, me, and I know you love Tony, and I think Tony's a good coach. To me, it just doesn't it it, it doesn't tickle my fancy. It really doesn't. Um. And I'll be honest, I the, really the only guy that 
really would get me excited like that because, like I said, we're replacing we're replacing a top ten, top fifteen name in college football, and really the only name on that list is a guy that that uh two guys, Billy Napier and and uh, Matt Campbell. Now I like Sonny Dykes. I think he's he's obvious obviously got a good resume. But even if you look at SMU right now, SMU's kind of like their fans are kind of turning on him and they've got they've you know what his nickname is for uh Sonny from no, SMU fans. You've got to do something it's, with the postseason fade or the late well, season fade. They they say I hope you know when when SMU fans talk about TCU getting them, they all say we hope he get we hope they get November Sonny. Yeah. And November Sonny is 7 and 11. He's not very good. And right now they've lost lost two consecutive games, and I don't I don't know if that wears the shine off a little bit off his name because I I still feel like there's there's nothing been relayed to me to make me think that he's not the top candidate still. Now I do know that Billy Napier interview, interviewed um, did really well, and he could be sliding up a bit. But right now, if I had to choose tonight, where TCU's headed, I would say Dykes, but it's it seems like it seems like they will take their time just a little bit to announce anything. But I don't I don't think it's gonna be a long, drawn out announcement because let's face it, it's not the nineteen seventies anymore. Things get leaked out, things are gonna be you're you're gonna see stories, sources are saying whatever whatever happens, the story will say whether it's from me, whether it's from anyone else, the story is gonna say sources reporting. Ex coach is gonna be TCU head coach, and I firmly believe that's gonna happen before December. Okay, so that was I got two more questions here. You said Napier has interviewed. That's my number one coach. If anybody's, I know everybody interested in what I say. I got Napier as my wonder number one candidate. You heard he had a good interview. Napier? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I would like him. You know, one of the things I'd heard is that they want somebody that can come in and win right away because we've got this this window here where as college, college football landscape continues to shake out, uh, Billy Napier is – wins like that's that's what he does is he wins and I I would really be interested to see what he could do with a TCU budget I'd be interested to see what he could do on the recruiting trail he is a, a Saban disciple and one of the few disabled disciples that actually has gone out and won in a significant way so I'll be really interested to see what Billy Napier could do at TCU um, well I'll, I'll tell you this if I'm looking at the candidates and I and I ranked them, and I did a, po- a story on positives and negatives um, about each one of those guys. It, for for TCU, they want to win right away. But Jeremiah has has also gone up there and said we want someone adept in NIL and transfer portal. And there's not a better guy on that list than Sonny Dykes. There's just not. Now Sonny hasn't got he's he's missed on the transfer portal. But let's be honest, he's landed a lot of key guys on the transfer portal. Flipping that on Napier's side, what I really like about him is he recruits the heck out of Louisiana. So he's going to go out and still recruit Louisiana like TCU has, and he's got a good name down there. I mean, people love the guy. He's got a good name. But the one thing that I that I caution him with, and 
this is in the open. This is no secret. He's turned down some pretty major jobs before. And everyone down there seems to think, oh, he's waiting for for an SEC job, even LSU, whatever. People I've talked to that are close to him says sometimes he is very fine with being in Lafayette. He very, very content and can wait out whenever the right the right opportunity comes along. Maybe TCU is that right opportunity. Um, but he's he's had he's had some some other big schools. But TCU, like I've mentioned, they have a lot going for them as a as a program, as a university. They they got great facilities. They're in a great area. I've mentioned a few times coaches that I've spoken with think that this could be a program that can sit on top of the mountain of the Big 12, especially when Texas and Oklahoma get out of there. They think that they are a sleeping giant, TCU is. And maybe a guy like Billy Napier is the guy that they want leading into the next chapter of TCU football. And there's a lot of similarities there between Billy Napier and Coach Patterson. There's not as much there, he, as far as media access for fans, you'd want Sonny Docks. You want to hear what the assistant coaches say, you want Sonny Docks. If you want someone like GP, you're going to want Billy. So just think about that for a second. I mean, you're you're as as fans, that's that's kind of the stuff you're looking at right now. Well, we're going to all find it out here in the last in the in the next couple of weeks here. So we could talk about coaching forever, but that's the best information that we've got. But as the coaching search gets updated, continue to log on to hornfrogblitz.com. You're going to find all the details that you want there. Um, let, let me just ask you this last question. Is Deion Sanders going to be the next head coach at TCU? <laughs> no. I didn't think no. so. I, but he is he is a legit uh, candidate. I will say that. It's, it's not a joke. All the stuff that we saw on Twitter saying that this is all a joke, this met it. You know, someone Max saying he's not he's he is legit. I'm just telling he is a legit candidate. Okay, we'll be in. You know, I I just I I just heard you. I I physically, although I'm listening to you, I just saw you look down at your desk and tap it as as to be you. You're not happy with that answer. No, I'm fine with that. Okay. Okay. No, I'm. Hey, there's. This is what we need. We need the winning pedigree of Billy Napier. And we need Colin uh, Kellen Moore to come in and scheme up the offense. And we need Sonny Dykes to run NIL and transfer portal. And we need Deion Sanders to uh, be out there uh, with uh, making sure things are lit. And so, like, I'm not turned off. Like, I know there's a hundred things to take into account here because TCU's in that in that spot where it's a well-funded program, but it's not a big program. We can we can outpay anyone in the new Big Twelve. That's just a given. You know, Gary Patterson was making more than Sark. So the number, you know, that we can pay everybody and we can, we're in a recruiting hotbed, but for us to be able to recruit, we need to win. And that's why I like Napier. But to be able to get splash, you got to have somebody like Dion, but you still got to learn the new landscape, which is NIL and transfer portal, which is sunny. Mm-hmm. All those people have strengths. I'm really not naive. The only thing I, I wish Dion had been at Jackson State for four years. Um, but, Hey man, he's got the better. You know what's he got? The number fifty six recruiting class at he had uh, number fifty five last year at an FCS school at an FCS school at a historically black college and university, which we all know are not funded like all the other like Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Um, like it, I mean, this these are historically under resourced programs. 
Um, and he's down there crushing it, putting more people in the stands than Cincinnati is. So that's just that's crazy. That's to the me. cool they, thing. They got thirty, what thirty eight thousand people? Yes, at Jackson State. Yeah. Mm. Now I know that that is the flagship of attendance for FCS and historic black colleges and universities. I, I get that, but uh, still, they're putting that many people in the stands. And Dion, it's a it's a it's a vibrant program historically. It's got a lot of pride, and Dion knew what he was doing when he took that job. So, hey, so you talked about we talked about rankings. I know we got to get. Jackson State had the 55-ranked class. You know who had the 53rd-ranked class? Don't tell me TCU. TCU. Okay. They had better classes than a better class than Kansas State, Iowa State, Colorado, <laughs> Wake Forest, Boise, BYU, Texas Tech, Purdue, Arizona, Houston. I'm just listing off some yep. bigger names. I mean, I but the guy can the guy can obviously recruit, so mm-hmm. that would that would be a huge plus. But does TCU want that coming to town? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. You know, you know. Uh, let me say this, and there's there's so much backstory to this that I'm smart enough to say I'm stupid on it. I guarantee you, Texas high school coaches at big public programs hate the startup high schools that he's been. Oh yes. Yes. They hate those high schools. You know, it's so funny. You get a, you get a red state like Texas and most red states love private schools, not Texas. They want public schools where kids go and play at the big public football stadiums. And so those charter schools, those startups, those uh, voucher schools where you are, you know, schools where you can um, you know, where, where they would want to use a voucher system if it existed. They, they don't, they, they don't want that. They want those kids in that district going to play for them. And so the idea of them getting plucked out to go to that um, prime academy that, ooh, no, they are not friends of that. You, th- you think that won't get used against him recruiting in South Dallas? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Corridor? yeah. No. Duncanville wants everybody to move to Duncanville. <laughs> Cedar Hill wants everybody to go to Cedar Hill. So. All right. Well, it was fun while it lasted. Hey, we're going to get this thing to a merciful end. Thank you, everyone, for logging on to this episode of the Frogcast. We're going to do everything we can to keep you posted on, hey, maybe a run towards a bowl game. Maybe see what the Frogs can do against Oklahoma State next week. But especially as this coaching search continues to heat up, we'll keep you posted on the podcast. But everything on the podcast is going to be old news. If you're part of hornfrogblitz.com, go sign up today. Also, go and subscribe and give us a rating and review on your podcasting app of choice. You can find us at the Frogcast in any of the uh, podcasting apps that you can find on your phone. Gives you a chance, and we try to load this thing up every week. So until we get back together soon, for Jeremy Clark, for Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.